certain winter would bring you down forever, but you rode upon a steamer to the violence of the sun. Hello, my name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three movie podcast, where this week we are going to be talking about The Way Back. Uh, there will be spoilers. In- I just feel like I should warn you. But before we get to the spoilers, let me introduce a couple of folks. We'll tell you a little bit about the movie, and then we'll get into the spoiler part. <laughs> Is this uh, our first joined- podcast? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm joined by Christian... Uh, his Russian names... Uh, Morovs- Morovs- Morovsky? Plus the Christian accent. Morovsky. Hmm. Smith. Hmm. What's, what's the just call him Mr. All right. And that, and also uh, with... Uh, with me as well, Kelly Wand, who hopefully has a Wayback-related tagline to kick off this week's podcast. Kelly Wand, what is the Wayback-related tagline? Uh, they think the Siberian gulag's bad. They should try being a freelance video game writer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Dingus, tell us a little bit about what Wayback is. Uh, give, give us a, just a, a brief little thumbnail sketch of what this movie is in case somebody hasn't heard of it. Or a charcoal sketch. All right, this week we saw The Way Back, a 2010 war drama movie. <laughs> war drama? Yes, war drama. War drama movie, oh. directed by Peter Weir, inspired by The Long Walk by Slava Miravis, and starring Jim Sturgis, Colin Farrell, and Ed Harris. The film follows prisoners escaping a gulag in Siberia in World War II. The film is rated PG-13 for violent content, depiction of physical hardships, a nude image. What? And brief, strong language. Oh, I hate the rating system. Fucking hate it. <laughs> you love so it. Oh, it's so dumb. A nude image. Yeah, I, I can think of two of them. So if I just draw a couple hoops, that's a PG-13 rating. Out of charcoal. Depends on how good you are. Mm. Okay. All right, Kelly Wand, why don't you... Uh, no, actually, before you go, Kelly Wand, I, I don't normally do this, but I know a lot of folks will listen to the podcast, even though they haven't seen the movie, and... They're kind of cool with that, and they'll listen and decide over the course of the podcast they want to go see it. I just want to say right now, and uh, Dingus and Kelly, you guys can weigh in in a minute. I think you should stop listening if you haven't seen this. This is such I, – I so enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really good, and uh, I want to say things that will ruin it for you. So please stop listening if you haven't seen this, and I, I urge you go see it. It's just a great adventure movie. And we're going to spoil a lot of things that I don't want you to know if you haven't seen it. And if you're already not listening and you're not hearing what Tom's saying right now, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> uh, so, okay, there we go. Kelly Wan, why don't you uh, break down for us a little bit more, in a little bit more detail, what happens. You mean tell everyone who saw the movie, followed your advice, and didn't ignore it like they usually do, and now... Right. Uh, uh, Kelly Wan, give the people what they're here for. Oh, you mean spoilers? Stoned spoilers? You I know what you're going to call it this week. Do you have a special name for it? Oh, Way Benopsis. Like Benai Brith. Brobdingnagian Uh Okay, so, uh, yeah, the Brobdingnagian's in the Gulliver's Travels with Jack Black. That's not what I wrote. That's a freebie. <laughs> okay, back to the written text. Uh, so this guy's wife tells the Soviets that her husband... Oh, it's 1937. That way you won't get confused by anything else I said. <laughs> so this guy's wife tells the Soviets that her husband will say anything if he thinks they've tortured her, so they put him in a gulag, uh, where he hooks up with this artist guy and the said Harris guy and Colin Farrell, 
who kills a dude for his sweater to satisfy a poker debt because killing the guy he owes the money to would be wrong. And they decide to bust out while Steve McQueen's distracting them by driving his motorcycle heroically into some barbed wire. And the artist guy sells some porn he drew for sausages, ironically. And they all escape into the safety of the 4,000-mile-wide blizzard. There's some line, something like it's 10 million square miles or something. Yeah, Siberia. Yeah, Siberia, okay. That's what that... Um, so they send out the guy with night blindness named Kashik, named after planet, to get some firewood. And uh, he gets lost, so they go out to look for him, but they can't find him because they didn't look two feet away from their campfire, where he was freezing to death for ten hours staring at their fire. And they meet a peasant girl, but they don't trust her till they find out everything she told them is a big lie. And then they meet an old man who gives them these nooses made out of poison oak that make good mosquito repellent. But the only downside is it attracts sandstorms. And uh, they find out that Mongolia is communist because of a picture of Saddam Hussein that's on its archway out in the middle of the desert. And Colin Farrell decides once they reach the border that he was just kidding and freedom's not for him. So he walks all the way back to the gulag and then changes his mind again and then walks all the way back. So then they walk into the desert to avoid communism, but it gets hot and they almost die. But then they find a mirage. So they fill their buckets with mirage sand and throw away all their food and they walk and walk and walk some more but a sandstorm tricks them by their not having lids and corks for their water skins so they're out of water again although they have lots of mud did we lose you Kelly Wand crap well at least they have mud yeah lots of it Apparently, Angus, why don't you pick up where Kelly Wand left off? Hello. And then they have a bunch of mud, and they Hello? can't they can't eat lizards. <laughs> that was great, Kelly Wand. We lost you at the mud, and then you decided to stop talking, and we were very sad. Yeah. Can you hear me yet? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So then the sandstorm <laughs> it affected their compasses if they had compasses, and the girl gets sunburned because her feet are swollen, so they bury her under some rocks they brought along with them, uh, just in case. And then the artist guy dies because you can't drink porn. <laughs> Only the results. And they eat a snake, oh. like Capricorn one. Oh, what? I don't care. But instead of O.J. Simpson, it's a snake. And uh, they finally reach India, where a smiling guy asks them in English for their passports, but they forgot them, so they have to go back to the gulag to get them. That's the title. Then 40 years pass, and the main guy goes back to his place in Poland because communism's collapsed in a subtitle, and the key's right under the wasp's nest on the porch where his wife left it. And he goes in and sees her for the first time in a millennium, and she goes, we're out of milk. (laughs) Thus the title again. The end. <sighs> Sorry about fading out. No, no, that's okay. I, it's, I, it's, take it's, we created the middle section of the movie where they're trying to get through the desert, and uh, yeah, I, I thought. I'm sorry, I didn't stay faded out. <laughs> we're not. Tom, would you carry me if my feet were swollen? And I would you ask you. me? Would you ask me uh, to leave you? Would you bring me along for my kindness? 
Tom, those were my footprints in the sand from where I was carrying you. <laughs> Uh, during the, the night blindness dude's hallucination of the Egyptian professor, I was sure that was a James Cameron cameo. <laughs> that that, that uh, Egyptian professor looked just like James Cameron. I, I actually, during the credits, was like, did James Cameron do a cameo in this? He did. I thought he looked like Stellan Skarsgård, so that's how I knew it wasn't a hallucination. When that guy was walking through the forest and we had that overhead shot, I thought a predator was going to come out of the trees. That's like in I, that alien movie? That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought, oh, wow, this is going to become a Predator movie. Cool. Now, is that because you were bored, Dingus, and you wanted this to be a Predator movie? I did want this to be a Predator movie, but I was not bored, no. And so so most of the time when I go see a movie, I'll, I'll check the running times. Uh, and I saw that this was like two hours, 20 minutes, whatever. Mm. And when I go into a two-hour, 20-minute movie, I'm like, oh, God, it's going to be so long. I felt that way about Beautiful. Beautiful I liked quite a bit, but that's a long movie, and it felt like a long movie. So I get into this movie, and I'm thinking, oh, God, it's going to be long. About 20 minutes into it, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad this is long. Uh, take as much time as you need. Uh, it, it was a long movie, but it, it, I felt it really filled that space very well. Uh, it, was a, it, was, it deserved to be expansive, I thought. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so about I, a long yeah. journey. So if it's a, if it's a long-ass, arduous journey and the movie's only like an hour. Well, it really is in the, in the traditional uh, sense of, of like, you know, like Lawrence of Arabia kind of movies. I mean, there's something very epic about it. Mm-hmm. The way it progresses through so many different, like, ordeals and locations. Like, 127 Hours is similar in that it's a survival drama, but it's so focused, and it's one dude in a crevice, so what are you going to do? Let's knock that out in 90 minutes. But a movie like this that progresses from Siberia to uh, to Mongolia to Tibet to India, this movie could have been, you know, give give this movie three hours if it needs it. I agree with that. I agree. I I absolutely agree with that part. And Predators. (laughs) (laughs) It needs it. Uh, All right. Well, let's... uh, So, Dingus, this worked for you, then. Um, Actually, I'm really excited to hear you... uh, Because you opened before Kelly Wan gave his long wapesis, or whatever he called it... Um, saying that you thought it was a great adventure film and you're really excited to expound upon all the things that are great about it. And I'm excited to hear about that because it really didn't work for me. Uh, for me, uh, it either has to be what you're talking about. It has to be three or four hours long or or maybe even a whole series um, or uh, much shorter and more uh, conceptual. Uh, at, at its current length and what they were trying to do, it just didn't work for me. Interesting. All right, Kelly Wan, where do you fall on this? Worked for me, didn't work for Dingus. Uh, it worked for me as a movie, a, a drama movie, <laughs> but um, it's based loosely on a book called The Long Walk. Um, that is, it's it's uh, it's being debunked apparently that no one ever escaped from Siberia and hiked in India, mm-hmm. and so okay. yeah. Do you, do, you, do you know what I'm going to say in response to that? It doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. You know, I, in a way, it doesn't because you can just assume that this happened, and then, like, you know, the Great Escapes fiction, and that movie works. I don't even think you have to assume this happened. In a way, it reminded me of. He opens uh, with it's dedicated to these four people who did this. Three, right? Yes, yeah, the three. three yeah. It, it opens by telling you the end, and then it shows you the movie. Yeah. Well, you know, I say you say that dingus, but I. It kind of, as I was watching, I was thinking, okay, they're letting us know that only three of these dudes are going to survive. But 
it does it, it says the and none of them will be women <laughs> from that it doesn't ah good point but doesn't it say it's dedicated to to them it, it i don't think it ever necessarily says it's I mean, it is telling their story, but it doesn't open with this is a true story, if I'm not mistaken. Doesn't it just lay out the situation and then say this movie is dedicated to three men who's, who got to India, who crossed the Himalayas and got to India from Siberia? Yeah, you're right. It, it says like in 19-whatever, 41, three men walked out of the Himalayas after a 4,000-mile trek. This is dedicated to them. So you're, you're right. Right. But it, it's obvious, it's clear. It's obviously their story, and even if it is debunked, because I, I mean the the, <laughs> the mechanics of you, you know walking from Siberia to India, the movie glosses over a lot of stuff yeah. simply because it can't be a, a two-year-long movie or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but if it can't, but if if the movie's about people who actually did it and it can't be done, then, then that doesn't make you see the movie in a different okay. light, like someone well, swimming me, the Atlantic Ocean or something. <laughs> <laughs> let me throw this out. Uh, I, I I try to one of the things that I really appreciate in a movie is is a character arc, and I think the opening scene of a movie is very important. Any director, I think anybody who goes to the trouble to make a movie puts in a beginning scene there for a reason. So to me, this movie is an adventure story, yes, but the arc of this adventure story is one guy forgiving his wife mm. against all odds, and the fact that the movie does not lose sight of that, I really appreciated. Uh, you, you know, the movie goes to all kinds of other places, but this is very clearly a point A to point B story about terrible, terrible hardship. And that terrible, terrible hardship is furthermore, uh, it, it's, it's not a metaphor, but it's very clearly set against the backdrop of communism. And the fact that, it, that they escape and they're s- still screwed for 50 years, I really appreciated that the movie didn't sort of hand wave that away. Uh, that that became part of what was going on in this story. The story was so set against the backdrop of just the enormity of, of communism, um, and it doesn't lose sight of that. And the fact that he goes through all of this and still has to endure 50 years of communism, and then they show us him meeting his wife, presumably to forgive her. Uh, I, I just I think that, that was a really valuable touch and a, and a fantastic bookend for an adventure, in contrast to something crappy and cheesy like Saving Private Ryan, where just old man <laughs> in a cemetery. This, I, I felt, and, and you get a through line, too. Jim Sturgis has one. There, there are a couple of these confessional scenes that felt a little forced, but they mostly worked for me because the actors were very good. But Jim Sturgis has that great confessional scene where he reveals his motivation. It's not just survival. It's getting out so that he can tell his wife he forgives her. Mm. Um, and so, in addition to being a great adventure movie, I just thought it had this fantastic emotional, political, global through line uh, that I really appreciated. Uh, at the end, when it says communism collapses in 1989, mm-hmm. that's like the first... I mean, China didn't collapse. It's still around, and they're ahead of us. So shouldn't he still be waiting somewhere? <laughs> Well, the thing is that this was just the first part of his ordeal, surviving communism to get to his wife and, and forgive her. Right. Uh, you know, the the next 50 years probably weren't nearly as interesting. And wouldn't have made it <laughs> yeah, but, okay. But I feel it's valuable to point that out. I was a little what, curious what he was doing for some of that time. Well, I, you know, if it was a true story, I would be too. And I, I presume it is, you know, it's based on this one guy's book. 
But I don't think that's necessarily the story that Peter Weir set out to tell. No, but if he wants to forgive the wife, I mean, and he takes 50 years to, sh- to come back to the doorstep, I mean, what if she doesn't live long enough for him to... Seems like he's taking well, kind of a risk. It would have been nice if he would have dropped her a letter. Yeah, dropped I mean, her a letter. And go, I forgive you. Point. I'll it's, see you in another 30 years, though. But I'm hanging out in India. Why don't you come to me? Come see right. me in India. We can talk. You guys yeah, you guys want the end of Castaway applied to this, and I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> I want her to give him a truck. That was very moving. Because it's also partly about, you know, it's about the aftermath of communism. You know, there's these countries now emerging from communism having to forgive each other. I mean, this is this is an important episode in the Cold War, where we are now, what countries do now, what people do now. You yeah. know, how we react to the, the wake of communism going. So it, we should not give the Nazis. Are you, are you an appeaser? <laughs> well, it's you know the Nazis is a completely different issue. By the way, for a similar survival drama set to the backdrop of the Nazis instead of communism, uh, there's a movie called North Face that I recommend, and I think I've told you guys about before. Yeah. Um, but but I love when uh, I, I just love that this was a, an epic survival drama with a very clear political backdrop. Um, you know what what does it mean to walk from Siberia to India in 1941? No one will ever know. <laughs> what, what I like about the the politics that, that you're talking about is how um, is how it makes them have to avoid everybody in the world, <laughs> everybody in the world they're in, mm-hmm. and that feels so real because it's a it's an actual part of history, and and the idea of of countries closing to them, everything closing to them, and there's there's just nowhere for them to go, is incredibly compelling and powerful to me it's it doesn't feel at all like it's it's made up it doesn't feel like it is just sort of a, a, a plot contrivance because it's real there's nowhere for them to go they have to keep going in these directions and i really like that it's that it, the backdrop of history is there for that and that that was the shape of the world from after you know up through world war Two and certainly afterwards uh you know. uh, uh or- Okay. Go ahead, Kelly Warren. I was going to ask, I, I feel like it, it, it lost something towards the end, and I, I wondered if maybe I would make it too big a thing about how they reached the um, they reached Tibet, and mm-hmm. the monks all, okay, you guys can stay here till spring in this barn, because um, the Himalayas will be held across, and you guys can't, you know, and so then Ed Harris, so, they, so that night they're talking, and Harris is like, yeah, I'm going to go to the embassy and do this. And they're all, <laughs> you're breaking up the band? Dude, You're that's giving up. He goes, we're tired. We're here. What? We're, we're out. And we made it. He says, we made it. Yeah, he it. goes, we made it. We're done. And he's. they're all like, oh. And so then one of them just starts walking across the Himalayas. And they go, hey, it's Johnston. We have to go after him. So then they just follow him all the way. <laughs> and then the next scene, they're in India. It's like, okay, it wasn't that big a deal. The Himalayas. Well, it did. I mean, it did. It, it definitely glossed over uh, the Himalayas, I mean, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which it mentions in the at the beginning, like oh, the Himalayas. Yes. Like that was the really big part. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Siberia, Mongolia. Right. No deal. Yeah. Um, it, it, but I think at that point, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe they'd run out of film or something. Or... <laughs> I think they just went through the mines of Moria at that point. <laughs> right. Which we know, uh, it, we don't want to see that the Moria scenes. But, I mean, that one of the, you know, Ed Hale, Ed Hale, Ed Harris avails himself of being an American at that point. Uh, you know, he gets to a point where because... Yeah, I got a place to go later. <laughs> uh, and these guys still have to walk across the Himalayas. Yeah. 
But well, I think part of it too is I I don't how much can happen in the Himalayas. I mean, well, it's fiction, <laughs> as you say it is. There's a lot. There's tigers. How much can happen in the Himalayas? Who knows? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Let's go. The Himalayas are usually event free. Also, Yetis. Speaking <laughs> of which. That's a very good point. Sherpas because and Yetis, the two. But yes, you're right, Kelly. It did seem like the, the Himalayan part of the ordeal was definitely truncated, especially after the, and I really liked the desert stuff. Like, they really, that, in fact, that was the first part where I was like, this is the part of the movie that should be this long, because everything else they seem to like. They crossed that frozen tundra super fast, considering, and then the desert's like, yeah, it's like a fucking desert out here. <laughs> like, it just, and then two like that's their they get their casualties from the desert like that's that was a, that was the good sequence i thought and then the himalayas are just like brushed into the road okay that's well i also kind of like yeah i mean that's where two of them didn't make it i i liked and i liked yeah. that that's where i was like oh this movie's good this is yeah. fucked i would hate this and i like i love survival stuff but then i felt gypped from of the himalayas well, they made it. I mean, you're, you're right. There maybe there will be a director's cut with the Yeti scenes. Uh, <laughs> well, see, the part the thing is too that the the journey through the Himalayas was not like the journey through a communist occupied country. You know, they were told there's going to be villages along the way. People, it was just it was going to be difficult. So, like they'd escaped communism at that point. So now he just has to wait 50 years. They're not. Well, we don't we it. don't really get any drama related to that though. To what? Un. To, to the whole idea of, of, of uh, nature's going to kill you or or the people will kill you. Um, that that pri- that prison guard or the warden or whoever who gets that opening speech about the bounty that is on their heads. Um, there's right. some some minor lip service paid to we have to skirt these towns and then they skirt one town. But there's never any sense of we're in danger from locals. Right. Um, I, th- I think that that. Other than the uh, the dread they carry with them, uh, and when they avoid um, going into uh, Mongolia because of the picture of Saddam Hussein, um, there's that never really pays off. There's never any of that human drama. It's just all uh, avoiding the wilderness. They never and, meet anyone who mis- doesn't help them. And mosquitoes. They only meet patrons. The Mongol horsemen, I thought, was a, a pretty tense moment. You know, going around the town. <laughs> they and helped them. Well, no, they didn't. The guys, they sent the kid to Yes, they did. Water. The Mongol horseman galloped up, asked a couple of questions, and then gave him some water. Yeah. No, there was a little boy they ran into later who That's gave that him water. Guess, he, was sent, he, he was sent oh, by really? that guy. Oh, really? sent. You, you speak Mongolia. He had the sense. I speak Mongolia. I know survive. <laughs> I'm one-eighth Mongoloid. On my well, Dingus, explain more. So you, you felt, Dingus, that it was missing the, the human drama of encountering communists on the way. Uh, well, well, just based on, on what you said. I'm just reacting to what you just said about that being a, a big part of it, and I, and I don't think that ever paid off. I don't, well, I uh, that's think a, it paid off but, that they could never turn to anyone else for help. You know, they couldn't just find the nearest city. Uh, and I think that that was, that, that, that was a central fact of their journey is that they were not going to be able to, to take advantage of any, any civilization. Uh, right. But the villages always helped them. They could just stay in a village. There was, they never encountered a village. They went around one, and then Colin uh, right. Farrell stole some rabbits from it. Um, and maybe killed someone, or a dog. He says it was a dog. 
and he took some vodka. Right. Yeah. From the dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dingus, I want to hear more about why Super it didn't What would you say, Tom? I want to hear more about why it didn't work for you. Uh, for me, um, the transitions in this film were uh, were continually frustrating for me. Um, I think the film has a real problem with that. And I think, uh, and this is the sense I got early on, and I said this earlier, that it's it's trying to do too much, and if it's going to try to do too much, then do it all. If not, I would like it to do a lot less. And and for me, I, I felt like it needed more of sort of a director like Michael Winterbottom who can do something more conceptual with it and and uh, and fold time and, and maybe choose some specific moments rather than trying to show us everything but not showing us everything. Because you have those moments like the Siberia, I mean, like the Himalaya thing, which I think you're trying to kick off, uh, which is indicative to me of the problems of this. Like that first moment uh, when we get out into the greenery, the first moment where we see green is so jarring to me, and I don't feel like there's any transition to that. And that whole sequence in the caves, it really feels like uh, we found these awesome caves. Mm-hmm. We want to show you these awesome caves. We don't really have anything to do here. We're going to show you these awesome caves, and then we're going to get on to the next thing. They were pretty awesome, though. Um, they were beautiful. They were absolutely beautiful. You mean where the wolves were? Those caves? Mm-hmm. Right, right, exactly. Those those gorgeous caves that they were showing, and then he's doing the cave drawings on them and stuff. And then... Um, and then Janusz goes off to find the lake on his own, and and he does that door hallucination, and then he stumbles back into camp, and then they, he takes them all over to the lake again. I just I had such a problem with the transitions in this film, and I either wanted it to be something that showed me everything or showed me far less, because at its at its length it just felt like it was straddling something. Hmm. Hmm. I think so, you're both right. So, Tom, you didn't you didn't get from what I'm hearing. Well, no, there were there were definitely some abrupt transitions. It felt very episodic, uh, and I, I don't think there's any way you can do a movie like this without that. I mean, you uh, there there were plenty of like scenery montages between some transitions, but you're right. There were times where it's like okay, the production has picked up from Morocco, and now we're shooting in uh, Tibet, you know, and, and so right. that and that's an edit, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you mentioned, Michael Winterbottom or something stylized, uh, and that's certainly a valid approach. But uh, I don't. I, short of making a much longer movie, uh, I'm not sure what, how Peter Weir could have gotten around that. Um, Make a longer movie. I do. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's my vote. <laughs> Because I think Dingus is right, although I really liked the movie Sense of Place, and I really liked those caves, and I've never... I like uh, cinematic depictions of wretchedness. I love that. And this movie, like, they just... That camp was awesome. <laughs> it was just so... And then they, and some of those are just weird, like, where they go, they transition to the mines. Yep. You didn't like that shot, Dingus? If you ask him, or Dingus, Dingus, yeah. Dingus, because he's the one who says he, he's anti-transition. And that's another, that's another abrupt And I like that one. Agree, is that they're like... They, they step forward, and it's like, oh, we're going to be in the mines. And then I presume there was like a day or whatever of shooting these sets, and they dropped that in there. So I don't know, you know, if they if they would have gotten much out of showing them marching up to the mines or going in. I mean, there could have been more connective tissue. No, no, that was good. I like that. I, I kind of agree. I, I agree, because I don't think it needs the connective tissue, even though it does feel a little abrupt. Is it suddenly they're in these closed-in sets with the mines? And uh, 
I agree with Dingus that it feels abrupt. I don't necessarily think of it as a, as a shortcoming, though. No, not that. I like that one. It's like well, when it comes to the mines, it, it is transitioned because Ed Harris says they should have just shot us because we're for the mines, mm-hmm. and that that's that's the that's the type of thing that happens. Um, the I think that the film tried to rely. For me, I I thought the reliance on either season or climate change um, became a shortcoming for me because uh, because I felt like I I wasn't getting a sense of the miles, it, it, you know. And and I know this is going to seem unfair, and I know I'm pretty sure you guys are going to vehemently disagree with me, but a lot of the time I felt like it was just a bunch of actors walking through the forest doing scenes, and I I didn't get a sense of the miles. I got a sense of now it's green. Now you have to accept that time is has passed and it's yeah, not I, and it, ahead, it's sorry. not like I, this is really unfair but but when i watch you know rescue dawn which which i don't really care that much for but given the type of things physically those actors went through to change themselves it, it's it's hard to watch these guys get get their makeup slapped on them and, and i just didn't get the sense as much no matter how many times you show me feet with sores on them yeah, I, I really liked what they did with hair growth and beard growth at a, at a few times. And uh, sun and, and their clothes and the yeah. So Dingus, you sort of uh, you're right. A lot of that is makeup. And I did notice that as the ordeal was going on, some of them seemed to look more and more healthy. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and I kind of the the rescue dawn is good. Like it would have imagined something like a movie like this where with actors who are willing to put themselves through the physical transformation that someone like Christian Bale can do, uh, and that would have been fantastic, but that's not, none of the actors did that. Uh, right, and, and it's not really fair to expect them on this scale because I would imagine that it was over several months. Right, well, with all the different locations, absolutely, and also, Dingus, I, you, you know, you mentioned makeup, but it is, you know, they, they try to portray it with, with makeup and with hair and with facial growth, with, with different... Uh, you know, their, their clothes falling apart uh, as they get new clothes. Uh, I, I felt like there was enough, aside from any physical transformation in their bodies or any of them actually dieting severely or anything, right. uh, I thought the production did as well as could be expected, short of that sort of physical contortion that someone like Christian Bale can do. Um, you know, we, we, we brought this up in The Road, how healthy Cody Smith-McPhee looked, uh, and, I, and that bothered me a lot in that movie, here it didn't bother me because I thought the production at least was doing things to, to make them look like they were going through this. You know, the the sun the, the sunburn makeup, for instance. Right. Uh, and the, you know, Dingus, you sort of dismiss it, but you know, those those shots of of wounded, swollen feet were really gross. Like that stuff. I looked at that and my feet hurt. You know, by the time this movie was over, I my feet were sore, and I'd just been sitting there for two and a half hours. Uh, that stuff worked for me. It worked for me really well. And Tom's my cat. cat liked it. <laughs> <laughs> They're not yeah, like- paws. Nobody showed paws. Uh, um, the the feet thing just uh, you know I I see it, it just felt like a trick to me. I felt like it's it, a trick. It's a movie. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And a lot of my uh, my the, the, a lot of this is me trying to find excuses for why it didn't work for it for me. But let's talk a bit about the cast then, because I wonder if that's some of what bothered you, Dingus. Dingus, you and I are no great fans of Across the Universe, but right. I think we both liked Jim Sturgis, who's the lead actor in that. Did he work for you in this, or did he? I'm going to guess, and I could be wrong, that he maybe seemed a little lightweight to you. 
Uh, you're absolutely right. But but part of it is that I, I kept seeing across the universe. Whenever he would turn around and look over his shoulder, I kept thinking... He thought he was going to sing. I thought he was going to sing, you know. Is there anybody? I thought he was going to... It just... Yeah, but uh, I don't think that's your problem, though. I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of this lightweight guy who's also this rugged outdoorsman who feels trees and puts pine cones up. Um, but I was just so distracted by his face all the time. And his eyes, he's just so distinct. Yeah. Uh, I, Across I, the I, universe, I, what's that about? It's a Julie Tamor Beatles tribute. Not movie. interested. <laughs> Check, please. Similar uh, title. He's also, he's also better in, uh, I didn't care for this, but there's a, uh, an IRA movie called 50 Dead Men Walking, and he's, he's better in that. Uh, but yeah, he, he, he is kind of like, a, he's, he's like a young, pretty actor, and that, that can be a little distracting. Um, but what about So Dingus and Kelly Wand? What about the rest of the cast? How did those guys work for you? White Kelly people look alike to me, so they all look the same. <laughs> and they're all bundled up, so you can't really tell them apart, except for Ed Harris and Colin Farrell. Did uh, did Ed Harris and Colin Farrell work for you, Kelly Wand? Or were you thinking, hey, look, there's Ed Harris and Colin Farrell? Yeah, because they look different, so I liked that. And mm-hmm. um, Ed Harris, isn't he in all the Peter Weir movies? Like this and Truman Show? <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, they both... Those two both worked for me. Evil Colin Farrell. Um, and I like... Go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say something I liked about the movie is it had... A, some of, sometimes the, the weird pacing kind of made it seem more realistic, even though now, you know, even if none of it's true, and that seems to be the consensus. Like, Colin Farrell bailing midway through the movie, that, I wasn't seeing predicting that. But you liked that, right? No, no, I did. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And these are things I liked. And like Ed Harris, like, and they lose two people to the same thing, like, within 10 minutes. Like, they they are casualty-free. Well, not casualty. Okay. It was one guy that's snow. But, like, (laughs) two main characters die, like, really quickly together. Like, that's kind of unforeseen. That seems, that made it seem more authentic. Exactly. It's not like, okay, now here's the episode where we lose this guy. Yeah, they don't lose one guy every 10 minutes. It's like, yeah, this day was terrible. (laughs) And actually, maybe that kind of addresses a little bit, Dingus. I, I you know, I get what you're saying about the, the abrupt transitions and how erratically paced it can be, but I, I'm kind of buying into what Kelly Wan said. Is it, it didn't feel like a movie so much. You know, it felt like there there were three months where nothing happened, and then over the course of a week, two terrible things happened, and then a year where nothing happened. You know, it, it had that that odd staccato sort of pacing and yeah. lack of transitions kind of gave it a different kind of a feel than your typical adventure movie, I, I thought. It, it wasn't paced like an adventure movie. Uh, yeah. Well, how did you feel about Ed Harris and Colin Farrell, Tom? Oh, I loved both of them. I so... What was it? Was it Gone Baby Gone? Where uh, Yeah, Ed Harris was in that. I, this guy deserves to be in action movies. I mean, his fa- he's got one of the most amazing faces in show business, and it's just so weathered, and he, he looked so authentic in that part. I was worried he was going to play a Russian... Uh, there was going to be some accent work or something, so I was glad they didn't do that. But uh, and even you know, I, I was willing to give him his his little scene with Jim Sturgis about his son David. I didn't think we really needed that, but uh, I I really yeah. like I, I just I love that guy's face. I want to see him in action movies, in adventure movies. Uh, just good lord, he just looks fantastic. And and a poor Colin Farrell, that guy gets such short shrift. I think. I mean, he deserves way more credit. When he when he takes a part like this that I that I think he's really good at like he's good at playing guys who are not that bright 
whether it's this, whether it's in Bruges, Cassandra's Dream, which is a terrible movie, but he's good in it. Uh, you know, when Colin Farrell takes a part that's suited to him, I, I think he does a great job, and I think he deserves credit for this. So I was quite, as, as the most famous guys in the movie, I, I was quite pleased with both of them, and I didn't feel like their fame was, was a detraction. Is he good in that Terrence Malick thing I didn't see about Pocahontas? Oh, Dingus loved that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't, yeah Dingus, you, that's one of, like, you, if you're talking about great Colin Farrell performances, would you bring up New World? Oh, of course. That was one of my, if not my favorite film that year. But yeah. but I, I had seen the original, whatever the original cut, because uh, that was the year I was on the SAG nominating committee, and I got a special secure screener copy that would that would only be played on a special DVD player that they mailed out to you. And, um, and that cut has never appeared of that film again. But that particular cut, which was unbelievably long and beautiful, uh, he's, he's great in that. I mean, he's not... It's, that film is... The filmmaker is the star of that film. Uh, but he's good in it, yeah. So, Dingus, did, uh, did the, the two most famous people in this movie work for you? Uh, especially Colin Farrell. I mean, when, when I realized he was walking away from the film, a little part of me died. <laughs> because he, he just was such a life force. Um, the, all the interesting little things he was doing. At first, I was a little nervous because, like, oh, look, Colin learned a knife trick, and we're going to see that for the whole film. <laughs> He was also responsible for a lot of the tension in the group. So when he leaves in the in the middle, it's like, oh, now they're all going to get along. Damn. <laughs> he was, and he and he cannibalism's not going to be on the table anymore. And he's I don't know if, I don't know how you say it if it's like he's like the id or something where he just says exactly what exact exactly what he thinks and exactly what he assumes everybody else is thinking, and he's yeah, just he's got right. this. An incredible life force to him. I loved having him as a part of that group, and and uh, I wondered how that was going to play out. And and I I love that moment at the border when he says it's not for me. Uh, after he said that about America, and he just turns around and walks back, and it just seemed like it, it's you know it's not like well we didn't have the actor any longer, so he had to walk away. It seemed like a real moment, yeah. but and and a part of me died at that moment. I was like, no, don't leave, don't leave this group. You're you bring so much to it so i was really sad when he walked away and everything tom you said about ed harris's face especially as they get deeper and deeper into the desert and every time he looks at arena uh man that guy's face um yeah yeah, i I was happy with him did a little part of you die also dingus when they didn't bring mark strong along (laughs) (laughs) come on i missed him too i like mark strong <laughs> I, I like I like the way that plays out. I like him too, but I, but I can I can use just about that much of him. Hey, that's because <laughs> I start to think about Sherlock Holmes, and then I'm you know. Do, oh God! I, don't I'm, think of Sherlock Holmes. Think of rock and roller. Yeah, I know. I know. I should, but but he's just got such a, a specific face that uh, you know what Kelly Wan said is true too, and I'm, I'm interested if. If you had this problem, Tom, because uh, it took so long for this film to make these guys individuals, which I think is the point, but it was so hard for me to figure out who's who uh, for a long time, you know, to figure out, okay, he's the guy who cooks, and wait, who's the guy who draws, and uh, wait, you're, who's the guy with night blindness? I, I, mm-hmm. uh, who came along with them? How many of them are there? I had such a hard time figuring out who, which bald guy was who. Yeah, that's the idea, I think, of, of emerging from the collective society of uh, the Soviet Union. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, so, Kelly Wan, Mark Strong is the guy who is an actor, who had the line about, I've had better notices. <laughs> was, uh, oh. Thrown in the gulag for playing... Uh, is he the guy who always had the plan? Right. Yes, he was the guy who always had the plan, but who would never carry it out. And he didn't go, right? 
Right, because an actor is not reliable. <laughs> right. I can vouch. Well, and I think, too, so did Colin Farrell kill him and take his coat? Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, it's ambiguous. No, it's not. I don't think it yeah, is. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. No, he said he talked to him, so it's ambiguous. <laughs> I yeah. it's, it's all right. <laughs> it's okay. He said it's fine. That actually got a laugh from my audience. Uh, uh, yeah, I laughed. Uh, all right, let's talk briefly about... Um, I, I, uh, the fellow who made, uh, Brutal Legends, a fellow named Tim Schaefer, and I got to interview him once, and I was talking about, like, female characters in his game. And I remember him telling me, uh, about, uh, watching the movie Alive, and in ways Alive is somewhat similar to this, and how he's watching it and he's getting into it, and then early on, Ileana Douglas gets killed in an avalanche. And he was particularly bummed because he was like, oh, now it's just a movie about dudes. Uh, and that always struck me because I I remember liking Alive but there's when a a woman is present or absent or shows up in a situation where it's all dudes something very clearly changes and we talked a little about a bit about this in 127 Hours which has uh, this very energetic female presence early on and that goes away how did you guys feel about this Lovely Bones chick I don't know if you know that but she's the actress from Lovely Bones Showing up in the middle of the way back. Say her name. I'm going to guess it's Sayers Ronan. Ugh. That's how, how you say that? Oh. I don't know. No idea. You are so racist. No idea how to say her first name. I just wanted somebody else to. Yeah. Uh, it's Sarah's for a problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, how did that work for you guys? I was initially bummed. Like, ugh. Like, because I go... I go, well, it's a PG-13 movie about survival, so nothing bad's going to happen. But then it does kind of happen, and then I, I felt sad for her. Mm-hmm. So then it actually helped, because then, I don't know. It was good, because Ed Harris, she grew up on Ed Harris, and he was he was very dubious about her participation. Mm-hmm. So, so how did that whole arc work for you? I was like Ed Harris. It didn't work for me. I, I thought she upset the balance of the film, but not in a, a good way, like I think you were... Um, nudging toward, which I, I I like, I like the idea of what you're saying, um, but I, I didn't ever feel like it, she was a real part of it. And then when she died, I, I had no, I should feel something then. And 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 I looked around. I I didn't really, I didn't have any emotional connection to her. And I looked around my theater, and there was dry eyes all around me. And I was in a pretty full theater. Um, I just didn't get it. I, were all the eyes closed and snoring? <laughs> there were a couple that were, but no. Uh, no, people were were attentive to the film. It just, that, I felt like that should have more of an emotional impact on me, and I had to really examine why why it didn't. And and for me, a lot of that sort of, uh, the, the girl walking through the group and, and getting all their stories and disseminating them, while it's it's a nifty idea, it just never really felt real to me. Oh, I love that because that, that again, it was uh, it, there was sort of this idea that that was this uniquely female energy that was sort of serving yeah. as a go-between uh, amongst them. Uh, I definitely that, like the idea because she says, "Don't you guys talk?" And, and I mean, it's it's it seems like such a, an uh, an obvious assumption. Why why aren't you guys talking? Well, and it also yeah. gives them like she serves as a role. I I was a little I'm kind of glad they didn't touch on the whole sexuality of the thing and the possibility yeah. of her being raped or whatever. I mean, you know, if, if this was the road, she would have done a Charlize Theron and committed suicide because she was afraid she was going to get raped. I mean, that's a level of brutality that that story was going towards. But this is Greatest Generation. 
<laughs> these are people more noble. But but what she did offer, though, I, I think there were a few unique things that she offered as, as a woman in this part. For instance, when the artist guy is drawing her sleeping, I, I thought, you know, that's that's... That's you know he'd been doing these little pornographic drawings for the mobsters in the mm. prison. He'd been drawing the other dudes, but to finally be presented with this, you know, a girl's sleeping face to draw, I thought you know what? It, and the movie didn't didn't really hit that hard. It just left us to figure that out. But what a fantastic gift that was for him. Uh, and also you know Ed Harris not trusting her. Um, I think there was a lot of subtext there about, you know, his own paternal instinct, you know, him being a father. Uh, and that's what, you know, that the movie does hit that a little bit when he later talks about his son. And, and uh, Jim Sturgis says to him, you know, the girl told me your son's name. Can I say his name? Um, that, that, that brought the subtext out a little bit. But I loved what it did to Ed Harris's character and the fact that you do know that he's a father and that he, these feelings develop for her. And, and when she dies, I thought it was very affecting for, for me. When she died, it made me go, oh, I guess this is a true story. Because if, if this was a movie, she, the girl would have lived. So it made me think it was real. When well, then it, it's, it's a brutal thing, you know, to, to kill the, the, the female energy. And they got her right after she, they showed her being actually happy for the first time in the whole movie because they dump water on her and she squeals with delight. And then five minutes later, she's buried under sand forever. <laughs> That is a, a really wonderful moment in in that showering moment at the uh, at the um, at the Mirage, uh, where where she jumps in to Ed Harris getting the water dumped on. Wait, yeah. she jumps in, and, and that's really great. And I really like when they're looking at the drawings, and he says, "You got her smile." Um, there were some little touches with her that I liked, but uh, but. You know. I liked her acting. I mean, that's the thing that kind of won me over through a lot of the things Dingus is talking about, which would have annoyed. Like, I thought everyone yeah. was good in it. Oh, I think she's, she's good. good. I love when she dashes across the ice there, and yeah. there's that whole scrambling across the ice, and, and then they just move on. <laughs> I, I yeah. like little touches like that. I mean, I like that actress. I, I don't know that I've seen her in anything, because I didn't see Lovely Bones, and she, but she was in oh, something yeah. else. I can't remember what else she was in. Um uh-huh, oh, aton- I t- atonement. Yeah, I saw atonement. She was in that. Wait, is she the little sister in atonement? Uh, yeah, I think so. Ah, uh, she's the one who atones um, by writing about it. So I like her, and she's got just such striking eyes um, that you, that you know, especially in the desert. I mean, it's very Lawrence of Arabia eye kind of thing going on there. All right, Dingus. Now you try to say her first name. Uh, Siobhan. That's not right. Larry Storchke Renanen. I don't think that's right either. (laughs) I thought she was lying about everyone's uh, origin stories when she was going around. I thought that was going to be, yeah, you're right about that. I thought that too, that that he was going to say to Ed Harris, I know your your son's name, and Ed Harris was going to go, what? Man, you guys are so distrustful. Only of women. That's because we've been in prison, (laughs) and we can't talk to each other. That's because I've been in relationships. (laughs) Not for a while. I loved in uh, in the prison. Yeah. <laughs> I love in the prison stage of the movie when the guy is telling the story and the other guy who starts talking gets shushed. <laughs> yeah. Because I was sitting next to a woman in this movie. She was the say what you see lady. Uh, where <laughs> where yeah. she go? The lake. She needs you know, a gulag. Or mountains. You know, she she actually did that at one uh, point. Like, she said mountains. mountains? She did. Oh, she, at one point she says, "Here, here was my favorite one." She Swallows. says. 
No, she says, his tooth. Ah. <laughs> I hate people like that. I fucking hate them. You, could, you couldn't see the tooth coming out moment. See, and with How all the respect, this? it's usually a woman. Just saying. Women How about are... this line, Tom? Is this your favorite line? Tastes like chicken. Ah, Tom tastes a like chicken. A big, black, poisonous chicken without legs. Yeah, good. Racist. Racist. Um... Uh, yeah. There was a, a sound in, in the credits afterwards. There was a, under the sound credits, there was a credit for snow footsteps. One person was credited with that, I noticed. <laughs> Wait, it was a sound? Yeah, under like all the sound recording, I guess it was the foleen or whatnot. There was a, there was one line that said snow footsteps, so and so. That guy's totally stoked that you noticed him and now he's totally bummed that you didn't name him. Like, oh, somebody just saw my work and forgot my, yeah, it's a so and so guy. Was anybody credited for history footsteps or footnotes, as I would say? So you didn't? Did you not like that part, Dingus? Did you not I, like? The I smart absolutely thing? hated that. That whole right. we're going to give you a mini history lesson with footprints on top of it. it, it oh, <laughs> I just hated that. You know, no, I, I, I'm trying to be respectful of that last moment, but it made me think of Saving Private Ryan. That last scene I thought was ridiculous. You don't feel that that was a significant part of his ordeal. I saw during the fifty during the fifty years, right? Yeah, it might exactly. very well have been, but but it went over Dinkus's head. But it was as perfunctory as the trip over the Himalayas. Okay, we made it over the Himalayas and we made it over these fifty years. Hey, and here's Grandpa. It, I, I just some things don't need to be seen. You don't need to show that. It just feels goofy. That would have been. I think you, I think you do if you open with the act of betrayal. That needs to also close with the reconciliation of that act. It's not real and betrayal. I, it's it's a no, of course not. Good. Of course not. But she, you know, she, it's a guilt that she's going to have to live with. I mean, I, I think. Why do you just forgive her when he when when she did it right then? Like, hey, if it, I, don't, I don't see in fifty years, I forgive you. I loved the music at the end, though. It, it, you know, there was a couple things. The, the music. Early on, I started thinking about Michael Nyman, and then at the end, that, that credits music made me think of Peter Gabriel's um, Less Temptation music. Uh, mm-hmm. It's neither of those guys. It's it's some it's some guy named Burkhard Dahlwitz, uh, but I did love I the music and the sound. Burkhard Dahlwitz is the Snow Footsteps person. Oh, is he? Oh, he's oh, good. My mistake. My mistake. <laughs> my third favorite. But did, did, uh, do you like those all that history lesson stuff? I did, yes. Because I, I, the whole time I'm watching it, I am thinking, I, I'm literally thinking, well, they're going to get out, but they're screwed for another 50 years, you know, that's it's kind of, uh, I, I, I think that, that, I don't know that it needs to be acknowledged, but that's what I'm thinking, that's what's going on in, in my head, is that, yeah, they're going to walk the gulags for suck, but, uh, and they're going to get to India, but... And find out that's communist, you know. and they got to keep going to Antarctica. So you might as well hang out in Tibet for a dating. few months, moron. This is, yeah, this is, that's the hurry. This, I mean, this this is a, the historical reality of that time. If you're if you're from Poland, any sort of hey, I've gotten out of the Holocaust or whatever, uh, it's not going to get much better for another fifty years. And I was glad that that was acknowledged. Yeah, that that, that kind of sealed the deal for me quite well. I thought. So you're just waiting in India for communism to fall. Well, he writes a book, I assume. Is there a hole in the Great Wall where you can just go through and it's like that? It's like a cartoon wall <laughs> shaped like a body. <laughs> And was that in the original building? <laughs> Just curious. Mr. History lesson over here. Now, so if cool. I'm not mistaken, the Great Wall was not... I, I don't know if this is like one of those apocryphal things that you hear. But the Great Wall was not built to keep people out. 
It was built to keep marauders from coming in, stealing a bunch of junk, and then carting it out of the country. It was, uh, what? Else that's it. bullshit. You're crazy. That's, 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 Where did you what, hear that? What's your source? The beginning histor- of the movie subtitles? <laughs> <laughs> Historians. Historians. I thought it was to keep the it was to keep the Mongols out. No, they're why? racist. Leading academicians have uh, posited that theory. the ones who debunk the movie we just saw also debunk. <laughs> it's to give us something to see from space. That's what it's for. That's Stonehenge why was made. One, keep- two, three. Oh. Wow. Oh no, that's fine. No, no. A lot of You're in a hurry. You got something okay. to do. <laughs> All right, Kelly, say something wildly inappropriate. Stonehenge is shaped like a bunch of dicks. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one degrees, and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, even part of What does Stonehenge have to do with anything? Well, it's another ancient relic that we don't understand the meaning of. Although academicians are saying it was a wall to keep people inside Stonehenge. I hear in the director's cut, though, they walk through Stonehenge. That's part of it. How come you can't make Stonehenge and Civ, Tom? I'm pretty sure you can. Isn't it one of the... uh, Oh, isn't the... One of those early things that situates you on the map? I could be wrong. It didn't Let's do a three-by-three. How do you guys feel about this? I love it. I guess... I'm not crazy about it. Okay, well, here's this week's three. This week's three-by-three, I want your three favorite character introductions. You're not crazy about it. Is that what you just said? Here's the deal that I was thinking of. As as I was trying to think of them, this is is a little more than an excuse for us to talk about movies we really like, because I think any good movie (laughs) is going to have an interesting character, and it's going to introduce that character in an interesting way. Hmm. So, you know... this is pretty. Ultimately, this is pretty broad and vague, but we're just looking for our best character introductions. Even if they're not the best characters. Correct. They, they can be terrible, vile, wretched characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Tom. So I, I trust you guys have done uh, whatever you like with this. I'll be curious to see what you came up with. I'm not real crazy about mine. We'll see. Uh, but uh, Kelly Wan, since you're doing next week's 3x3, three three, uh, you start us off. What is your number three best character introduction? <sighs> I love that one. I like what, I like what you did at the beginning of this podcast for me and Dingus. <laughs> That's not a movie though. Oh right. Okay. Hang on, I gotta change my number two then also. Um my number three is uh the dude in Big Lebowski, where he like writes the check for sixty nine cents for the milk and he has a milk mustache. Mm, that is a good one. And he's and in the background. You can hear uh, Bush saying some about Iraq and, and the old Bush, the Bush we now miss a little bit. Now, Kelly Wand, let me ask you this: In what supermarket has he gone into to buy milk? Uh, Bonds? No, are you serious? Isn't it isn't it a Ralph's? Wait, why does that matter? Well, because we live in Los Angeles. So it's like yeah, but we have Bonds. Wait, what? Are you saying Ralph's means something, Coney? No, I'm just saying. I think they they shot that. Like, they, there, isn't there an establishing shot of him going into a Ralph's, or, or maybe it just says. I I'm that. pretty sure there's some Ralph's product placement. Although now you're making me doubt myself, wondering if it is a Vaughn's. I don't know. Dingus, can you uh, settle this argument? In what store does does uh, does Lebowski go to buy milk at the beginning of Dick Lebowski? And it's a period piece, so I think Tom's saying, see, Ralph's only existed back in '92. I think, it, the, I think it has to be Ralph's because that's the name of the penis in Judy Bloom's Forever. Whoa. It's Judy wow. Bloom's Forever 
Wait. Is that a sentence? <laughs> That's my favorite. That's my favorite introduction. Oh. Can I change mine to Dingus's? <laughs> no, yours is really good, Kelly Wand. I like yours. What was Dingus's introduction to Wendy? What? Never mind. <laughs> my, uh, if you must know, my mom. Oh, snap! I don't get it. Uh, so the dude in the Big Lebowski is a good one. This uh, is a dumb topic. You're right. Because then you guys just go, yeah, that is good. Okay. The end. Moving on. Well, I'm surprised you didn't pick um, John Turturro's character from Big Lebowski. That's quite an introduction. He's Thanks. never in the movie, though. Thanks, Tom. Good job. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, Dingus, what is your number three? Is it uh, the Jesus from Big Lebowski? Don't mess around with the Jesus. Is that the right? <laughs> is that the quote? That's the PG-13 <laughs> quote, right? It, it is not. Uh, it is not the Jesus. Um, is my, it the Big Lebowski? Is it Tara Reid? Is it? Um, it's the opening credits. I really like the way they're. Donnie. Announced. Right. Can I go now? <laughs> All right. My number three uh, character introduction. This one is. Um, this one is really. Do I, a quote. I feel a little. Okay, I'll do a quote. Come out, come out, whoever you are. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Jack Torrance. Oh, is it is it that prison release scene? In the is it from Country Strong? Fear. No, it's it's Cape Fear, Robert De Niro's character. Yeah. No, no, I, I didn't say come out, come out wherever you are. It's Wait, when out. does someone else in a movie ever say come out, come out wherever you are? It's come I'm out, come out, whoever. Say. It's whoever you are. Oh, it's Elmer Fudd. It's not, but the, you know when Tom said uh, Tom introduced this topic at least twice, um, and he mentioned the word iconic, and uh, two things leapt to mind. This being one of them, and for me, there's no more iconic introductory image for a character than uh, than the image of Harry Lyme being illuminated by the light in the Third Man, and um, I'm just. I'm, I'm nuts about this film anyway. I've seen it a bunch of times. And every time I see that moment where, where Harry Lyme is illuminated in that little alcove by that window where he's standing there with that little cat between his feet, uh, I get chills. I get chills every single time. And, and one of the things I love, and, and Tom, you're, you're wrong. This is a great topic. I, I, had, I had so many different things to choose from that I really liked that I had to just disregard because they were too obvious, uh, including this one, which I didn't disregard. Um, I really love when it, when a character is, is finally introduced or when you have the, the visual introduction of a character after other characters have talked about that character and after the film has geared up to you meeting that character for the first time. And when we meet Harry Lyme uh, at this point in The Third Man, after, after we've been told all these things about him being dead and, and his, his friend is looking for him and we find out all these things about him and you see him in that doorway, uh, I just I love the way he looks. I love that the expression on on uh, Orson Welles's face. Um, so that's my number three. Kelly Wan, do you see what he did there? If he's opening with something that big, I, I feel really inadequate about my list now. Uh, Sweden's contributed two things: steers and the cuckoo clock. Isn't that his line? <laughs> Am I misremembering? I'll be surprised if if one of mine is not shared with with Tom. But uh, but I don't know now that he's so. Feeling inadequate, I'm not sure. Tom feels inadequate every time he takes a shower. And, I might, might add, all mine are dudes because, much like Tom's shower, um, whenever they introduce a woman character in a movie, it's just like going up her body, like from the feet. 
They can do that with dudes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> that's why you're number two is something from cruising, huh? <laughs> gotcha. JK. Right, that, that's good, Dingus. Man, I... Wow, I can't wait to see what you what two you've come up with that are better than Third Man. Uh, see, because his Third Man was his number three. Ah, very good. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Spoiler. All right, well, my number three. Uh, this is uh, this is kind of cheating. Eh, it's not cheating, but it's a very opening scene in the movie. So, of course, it's introducing the character. But it's such. It says everything you need to know about this dude. Uh, and it opens in complete blackness, and there's someone knocking on the door, and you hear someone waking up, going, "Oh." Uh, he, he gets up, he's obviously been woken up, and Paul Giamatti opens the door, and there's a Hispanic dude out there saying, "Miles, you need to move your car. They're, the roofers are here, and you you parked poorly, you know." And he's like, oh, "Okay," and he runs out in his in his underwear and t-shirt and a robe, and he's parked <laughs> his Saab in front of the driveway where the and there's all these these roofers clustered around a truck waiting to pull into the driveway, and he moves and he parks the car, and then it cuts to the inside of the apartment. And he realizes he's late, and he's supposed to be, he lives in San Diego, he's supposed to be in L.A. at noon, and he looks at the clock at the microwave, and it's 10.54, and he's like, oh, fuck, and he, he gets on the phone, and he makes up, he lies, you don't know who he's talking to, he lies, he's like, it's, it's a nightmare around here, they're doing work on the apartment, it's just insane, it's chaos, so I'm running a little bit late, and he just slept in, you know, there's nothing else for the reason. And then it cuts to him just leisurely sitting on the toilet reading a book. <laughs> and he's that. taking a shower. And he's just taking his time getting ready. He's flossing his teeth meticulously. He stops into a Starbucks to get uh, a coffee and a spinach croissant and a New York Times. And then it shows him on the freeway going slower than everyone else. He's not even in a rush, even though he's late. The cars are all passing him because he's sitting there doing a crossword puzzle while he drives. And then when he gets there, finally, where Thomas Hayden Church is sitting uncomfortably with his in-laws and has been waiting for him, he lies again about how traffic was a nightmare on the freeway. Uh, I just love this introduction, short little snippets to the character of Miles in Sideways. Uh, so that's my number three. Oh, I thought you were doing Lady in the Water. <laughs> right. Thomas. Okay. I love that moment where it, where it cuts to him on the toilet with a book. That is so great. Takes me back. Uh. <laughs> All right, Dingus, what is your number two favorite character introduction? What about Kelly? Doesn't matter. Kelly, what is your number two? <laughs> uh, my number two is uh, McCready and Thing when uh, he's playing computer chess and he yeah, and he, yeah. he pours scotch in the computer and fucks it up for everybody at the base <laughs> to ever play chess again. <laughs> That's how I'm going to deal with aliens if I see any. I'm going to pour Scott. Is it, his, is it his own computer in his quarters, though? Or is he in, um, I guess they probably share a computer. Yeah, it can't be. What? They all have their own chess computer? <laughs> He's also wasting scotch, too. Like, that's how little he cares. That's the crime. And no one else, he never, no, they never, um, like, well, I mean, I, an event soon take over that are more interesting than that, I guess, but... They never go, hey, man, what's with the... You fucked up the computer. Like, no one cares. Like, yeah, fuck chess, fuck that thing. I've been, I've been wanting to pour scotch down that thing for like... Like, maybe he's the third guy who's done it that day. Does that computer toss in the thing? Mm. Like, does it say night four to... Ha, ha. Yeah, is it one of those kind of computers? Yeah. With a woman's voice. 
See, that's right, because doesn't he call it a bitch? Like, he, he he gives it some sort of feminine swear word and calls it a bitch or something, doesn't he, when he pours the scotch in there? Yeah. Could be mistaken. All right. I like how all the characters are introduced in Dark Star, too, that they're all introduced at the same time, sort of in that little hunched quarters. I saw that again past week. Uh, that movie so holds up. You have to watch it again. Dark Star? Are you serious? Uh, <sighs> whatever, Kelly Wand. Yeah, you hate that movie. <laughs> How about that that long elevator shaft scene where they just shoot it down a hallway and have the actors lie down on the floor? Yeah, that and that up. it's Dan O'Bannon, the guy who wrote Alien. I know he's dead now, so I feel bad making fun of it. But what, uh, what I mean, no. no, I was thinking it's like Alien was on a couple nights ago. I was thinking this movie's worse than Dark Star. Dark Star's better uh, than Alien. Oh, Kelly, you. It's, he did it as a joke, and then they go, "Hey, let's make, let's go on for 19 movies and totally shit all over this franchise." Never mind. Are you talking about Dark Star or Alien? Well, it's like Alien. We owe Dark Star for Alien, but if you watch Dark Star, you go, "You know what? They never really improved on this. This is better than." I will say that uh, Dark Star was much more of a John Carpenter movie than Alien, so I'll give you that. He never made anything funny again. It's kind of weird because it's a really funny movie. John Carpenter. Yeah. He never made Star a comedy. Is Starman is pretty funny. No, it wasn't a comedy. Dark Star is a comedy. Starman, I would argue, might is a romantic comedy. I would actually, I'm, and I'm not being, I'm not joking. I think Starman What's, is a romantic comedy. It's not a comedy. What are you talking about? There's no comedy it's, in Starman. It's, it's the standard romantic comedy formula of this match parallel and still love each other. Think it's backing up on this. You'll laugh at anything. It's a fish out of water. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, come on, John Carpenter, uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. With oh, Chevy that was Chase. hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Chevy Chase is... Uh, well, actually, Kelly Wand here, let me let me just shoot you down just thoroughly and decisively and remind you... you nothing little... of the kind yet. So I'm going to remind you of a little movie called Big Trouble in Little China and defy uh, you to at a comedy that it's not funny. Go. It's kind of funny, but it's not even <laughs> like... Kelly, Kelly's about to pour scotch in his computer. Put it this way. Dark Star's funny the whole way through, and, it, and the ending is pure comedy. Like, it's all hilarious. And Big Trouble in Little China, it's like, yeah, this is kind of funny, but check out these awesome... F like, the action is the first and foremost. Nope, not buying it. Sorry. <laughs> not buying what you're selling, Kelly Wand. <laughs> if Wang wasn't in it, it wouldn't be funny. <laughs> all right, so McCready and the Thing, his introduction, sabotaging the only computer at the uh, Arct Antarctic station so that nobody can play computer chess and they probably can't even check the weather or get their email. Yeah. And he's not even the boss of that place. He's like, we don't know what anybody's... That's another cool thing about... No, him. he's just he's just the helicopter pilot. Right. He's the helicopter Like, Windows is the cook. Uh, what's what's Otis Brimley? Or, uh, what's his name? Otis uh, Wilford Brimley is uh, the, the doctor. Isn't he the doctor? Yeah. They have two doctors. He has diabetes. <laughs> one of the other ones just made a great observation, I think. Didn't you say something about how the thing was one of the last... Like, that, that's back when you could have, like, unattractive men playing. Yeah, old men. All yes, old men. yes. I love that. And it, it's like the McCready setup's the only setup of any character in the movie. Like, an alien... Like, you don't even know who's good at their job or what they're doing. And it doesn't matter. You don't need to know it. And that's something that makes me agree with Dingus about the way back. It's like, the more you know people's pasts the less interesting they are. Okay, I'm going to strike that comment from the record as not being applicable. <laughs> in A. In forward slash A. All right, so, Crady and the Thing, good. By the way, what uh, what does he call, when they go to the the other base that's been infected by the Thing, what does McCready call them? Swedes? 
Very good. Right. But they're Norwegian. Exactly. And they're making a sequel or prequel about the Swedes, except fucking Natalie Portman's in it or something, and she's not Swedish. What? Something no. you want about. Another awesome prequel. She's isn't she in the Alien prequel? That's been that's now called Prometheus and it's not Alien. They scotched it. <laughs> Let's use that as a verb now. Very this was all nice. a setup for you to get something into the English language. Nicely done. Because well, open because he pours scotch in the chess computer and then I end with. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, Kelly, thank you. You're fucking it up. Stop talking now. <laughs> all right, Jiggs. Now that we have a new. Ver- oh, go ahead, Kelly. Long, his name is McCready because he's Mac Ready for the thing. Okay. Dingus, what is your number two best character introduction? And don't scotch this. I'm not going to scotch it. I'm going to give you a line, and you guys can scotch it off of the line. You guys like film terminology. I love it, and that that will go in our lexicon. What the hell? What? All right, here's my line. What happened to the rest of the guys? Hmm. That is from Can't Stop the Music, because that's about a gay band. What that's from? I haven't seen it. I'm uh, Don Knotts, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Best Picture, 1964. The Apartment. The yeah. Things That Are Green. Uh, Tom will know it. Do it right though. No, I can't. That's a terrible line, Dinkus. What movie is that from? I haven't seen it. I'm guessing. All right. What uh, the a character of- says, "What happened to the rest of the guys?" And he promptly gets shot. And the first line this character I'm talking about as the revel- as, as his introduction actually says is, um, uh, that which doesn't kill you makes you stranger. What grew bonsai? Oh, good God. That which doesn't kill you makes you stranger. I haven't seen You're it. in Loathing in Las Vegas? No, it's a little movie called The Dark Knight. I was totally thinking of that for one of mine. I I even meant to put it in my notes. I'm doing this over so I can steal this. Dang, that's a great one, Dingus. Uh, Oh, man, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. Dingus already has two that are ten times better than than my best one. (laughs) What about mine? I thought mine were the best. You're you're the best for all of us, Kelly. We love you. They spoiled that in a trailer, too. And that's that's why I don't watch watch trailers. Yeah, you suck it, Kelly Wan. You deserve it. Hey, what? I gotta get up. I'm already baked. (laughs) All right. Well, explain to us what you're talking about, Dingus. Now that you've made me hate my list again. Mm. Uh, Having not watched trailers, this the opening scene, or I'm not. It's not scene sequence for The Dark Knight is such a pleasure to discover that character. Uh, I'm still so mad that you picked this. Dagnabbit! I was thinking about it as I was going to sleep last night. Oh, you suck. I apologize. Watch it again. It's just such a, it's such a great revelation of this character, and it's such a great uh, example of of how uh, action and attitude and just very little dialogue can introduce a, a character. And what's so cool is is how Nolan and um, and Heath Ledger dole out uh, the bits of physicality and character that are going to introduce who this guy is. And you get a little bit here, a little bit there. You get more of, of Heath Ledger's walk, more of his, his posture. And finally you get to see him, but it's just, if you haven't seen the trailer and you watch that, you you don't, you kind of get a clue. Oh, okay. The guy's going to be here somehow. I mean, you get what's going on. 
one by one they're getting shot and and so you get the gag but it it just is such a great way to dole out little bits of the character in a quick and a very just hard-hitting way and um and this character introduction uh fantastic for for one of those great uh supporting performances and as you're talking about too where they're talking about him also like there's little bits of things being said about him it's all these people talking about this character who finally shows up just like in Third Man. Right. It's good, Dingus. Right. It's oh. also a great introduction of the William Fitchner character. I love that. And, and I love, too, you're like, oh, William Fitchner is, is in this movie. Nope, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just the right amount of William Fitchner, by the way. That's great. What? Uh, I, 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 I like him in doses. Like Armageddon. There's just the right amount of him in, Arm, in Armageddon. Right. There's a lot of him in Go. If you know what I mean. Oh, that's right. He's the he's the weird predatory like multi-level marketing guy. Tries to sell him Amway. Dip yeah, him sell Amway. but it, it looks like it's going to be some weird sexual thing. He's and a cop who sells it. Yeah, yeah. They're gay, and he's the weird one. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know if what I, I mean. <laughs> Dark Knight could have had a little bit more William, Fichtner. but no, that that was just tease us with just leave us wanting more William Fichtner. I think he's that's good. a good. He's yeah. good in a lot of movies. I'm a little, no, I like a little surprised. He's good. No, I'm not. I'm not saying bad things about. You're him. racist. Say it. <laughs> I like William Fickner. I know who he is. Come on. Who? How many people even know who he is? My not mom. Many. I'm one of them. Me and your mom. Yeah. <laughs> she. She's a big Grand Theft Auto fan. So Dingus is. Uh, oh, he's one of the voices in that. Is that right? Uh, Dingus is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dingus in in Dark Knight. Don't you see? Is it the first glimpse of the Joker, him holding a mask? Yeah. The the first glimpse of, of him is at the corner waiting from the back. You, you just see him standing there, and you see the mask in his hand. And then the SUV pulls up, and he gets in and puts the mask on. Um, that's That's your first glimpse of him. But you don't have any clue about who this is. And then he's in the back, and, and the guys start talking about him. Like you said, Tom, they start talking about who's this guy, blah, blah, blah. Man, good one, Dingus. Blah, blah, blah is a good introduction, too. And, and he does this thing where, you know, William Fickner is, is shooting people uh, in the bank, and and a guy comes up next to, or or uh, um, uh, the Joker scrambles up behind something with another of his henchmen, and the guy says something about is he done meaning has he shot all of his shots and the first and the joker just nods really fast and the guy stands up and gets shot (laughs) who taught you to count very nice uh do you guys know who plays the joker in dc universe uh mark hamill how'd you know that because he's a comic nerd no because he has the same face as the joker without makeup oh that's cruel you're a terrible Ouch. They paid him in Coke for uh, in Commander Three. No, it was Diet Coke, I think. <laughs> oh, right, because Coke Zero was last. Okay. All right, my but, number two. This is a huge cheat, uh, and I hope you guys are going to let me get away with this. My number two is everyone in Magnolia. <laughs> That's dumb. <laughs> Shut up! It's I not. Mean- Damn, Tom scoops my number one. Because Magnolia takes, like, the first 40 minutes of the movie is just this, like, swirling introduction of all these different characters. And it's so woven together with that Amy Mann song and P.T. Anderson's just, you know, it's very technique-heavy. Isn't it still introducing characters at the end of the movie? Magnolia? No, no. Everybody... Oh, I could have given you guys a line, too. That's... It's the whole movie, that one song. 
Well, there's the musical bit in the in the middle. There's the where they all sing to the the camera. Um, but uh, no, the early the the early part of the movie is just this long intercut introduction for all these seemingly unrelated characters. That's the movie that taught me to respect the cock. <laughs> How'd that work? Uh, I'm alone tonight. <laughs> but I have right. self-respect. Wait, to... wait, 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 wait. Uh, I want to hear uh, a little more uh, detail on this. Because, okay, we, I remember the Tom Cruise introduction. He's doing, like, okay. his commercial. And he's like... There's Julianne Moore. There's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. How are they introduced? Art. Just, like, little snippets of, like, what... There's like, the little boy. There's boy. the, uh, at the, at the game show. Right, right, um, okay. William H. Macy getting braces right, okay, for some good. reason that you later discover. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's What's John Julian C. Riley. Julianne Moore is at a drugstore. It's the that would have been the line is uh, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. You really must shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. That's her introduction. Well, that's it's part of it. Like it, they're all, it, it's a whole sequence where you're right. watching these go through these episodes in day to day life, and I think that's the notable thing about her. Is she showing up at a drugstore to get a prescription, and the guy sort of questions her on it, and, and she flips out. And then later you see her in her lawyer's office with, I think it's Michael Murphy, uh, where she has a confessional. But that's, yeah, I think that's like part of her introduction. Yeah. Well, does introduction have to be the first appearance of a character? So, uh, well, yeah, that is, is what I'm saying. Like, what, what do you see her doing before she goes to the drugstore? Parking or something? I don't know. I don't know. There's John C. Riley. Uh, uh, there's Melora Walters. Um, I forget mm. what they're doing at the very beginning. This is such a cheat. Have... This is so cheating. Yeah, I like I, 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 yeah, I, I, it's I cheating because you don't remember verbatim oh, what they are talking about. I do. They're all. I remember it being pretty good, though. You should be hanging your head in shame. This is your category. How dare you? Well, but they're all introduced. Like, I love the tapestry. They're all introduced. Magnolia is such a tapestry of a movie about all these different But they're characters. not all equal. They're unrelated. They're not all equally good. all introduced in this one whirlwind sequence, which is like the first 40 minutes of the movie. It's more um, about the sequence than the characters, though. So you're a terrible person. But I would person. say the movie is the character. <laughs> How dare you? Um, but you're right. You're absolutely right about that. That is a true statement. That's true. But wrong. Suck it. Suck it. You know what makes it wrong is you don't remember. Ver- you don't remember exactly. What are you talking about? I do. What are you yeah, asking? Think- Go ahead. Ask me another question. Right, what's <laughs> Laura Walters' introduction? Her introduction is doing coke with the music turned up really loud in her room uh, after her father has come to visit her. And there's another one, Philip Baker Hall. I'm just That's not her introduction, though. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> she does that halfway into the movie. Okay, well, what does she do? No, he comes to see her. That's her first time you see her. So you're saying her best introduction is when she's roused from sleep, and then right. she tells her dad he, to get and, out. And there's the right, and there's the little thing where the, it knocks the blanket off the window, and the sun comes shining in. Yep, that's her introduction. And what's Philip Seymour Hoffman's? His introduction is calling to order porn from Pink Dot, so he can Very get good. the number of the thing. Yep, that's later though. That's not the okay. Then what is his, his introduction? You tell me. Uh, he's like watching TV and he skips past the Rams game. That's from Happiness. Oh, <laughs> that's what I thought this we were talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. They're pretty similar. What are you wearing? What's what, you what are you wearing? Watch Leno last night. What? You remember that line from Happiness? No, I'm, I have to put this postcard on my wall. Hold on. <laughs> Just for it. Hey, that's gross. Thing. I heard that. 
All right, so are you guys going to accept that? Because otherwise I'm going to change <laughs> what it to What choice do we have? I'm going to change it to the Joker in Dark Knight. No. <laughs> I'd no, rather go ahead. Be... Go ahead. It's your category. It's up to you whether or not you accept it. Do you accept it, Tom? Do yes. This one passes muster. All right, good. Muster. All right, Kelly, what is your number one? If it's your to- I, the whoever's topic it is is the arbiter. Yeah. Of their it's. Okay, good. As the arbiter, I I say that I'm putting a check mark by this one. <laughs> Everyone. In oh, a check mark. <laughs> well, right. I can't course. argue with that then. Never mind. To forget everything I just said. There's a check. <laughs> Disregard. Um, my number one is my favorite character introduction in cinematic history. Wow. And it always has been. It's never been improved on. And it's uh, the Sundance Kid in Butch Cassidy. Okay, that's my number one. Put a check mark. Uh, you, you, you don't even remember it. What? Oh, I was waiting for you to say something like, how's that or what? Or, do you mm-hmm. Go ahead, explain it. Explain it to the audience. Yeah, what movie opens. Sundance? Playing is, it where he's, is it where he's riding a bicycle and they're playing Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head? That's Paul Newman. <laughs> I don't think you've seen this movie now. How embarrassing. <laughs> that is awesome, Tom. There's, so awesome. There's a lot of gay shit in that movie. But, oh, well, Charlie. Oh, what? Oh. But the, mo- the opening is the least... It's great. It's okay. He's playing cards and it's all sepia. And then you don't know who he is. And then the guy asks him how he keeps winning and he goes, prayer. And then um, the guy thinks he's cheating. So he says he has to... Uh, walk away, and Sundance just stares at him, and then Butch Cassidy goes, alright, come on, let's go. This is just, this is a waste of time. And then Sundance goes, no, he has to ask us to stay, or I'm not leaving. And he goes, that's, come on, that's that's childish. Don't be an idiot. Let's just go. No. He has to ask us, so we're sitting here for the rest of the night. And then Butch Cassidy goes, all right, I can't help you, Sundance. You're on your own. And the other guy goes, oh, you're Sundance Kid. Uh, I was just kidding. Uh, oh, yeah, hey, I didn't know. You can go. Was, and so Butch Cassidy goes, can you ask him to st- ask us to stay, or he's going to be like this all night? And the guy goes, you guys want to stick around? And then Butch Cassidy goes, no, we got to go. And then they leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, somehow, Kelly Wand, I think you explaining it probably is much better than it, it actually is in the movie. Oh, you don't remember that scene? I'm serious. I would pay real money for audio versions of movies done like that by you. <laughs> With all my uh, misquotes and fumbly bumblings. Oh, absolutely. Uh, now, uh, which one of them, Kelly, when I can't keep it straight, is, is the Sundance Kid or Butch Cassidy, which one of them is played by Steve McQueen? <laughs> I hate uh, you. <laughs> Dingus, what is your number one best character introduction? Of all time. All right, I'm going to give you guys a quote. How about that? By the way, Dingus, when you said you were worried that we were going to share one, was it the Joker or was it the one you're about to do right now? It was the Joker. Okay. Oh, you're such a jerk. All right. Give us a quote. All right, here you go. Ready? Yes, 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 yes. Ah, good. Good. What? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Are you going to say the part about Grosner? No, I was just going to say the yeses. (laughs) All right. also my runners-up. It's got to be Assassination of Jesse James or Vinyan or fucking North Face or something. It's another one where they talk about the character for a long time, and then he shows up, and the actor just just hits it out of the park. Is it Arthur? 
<laughs> Can you do more lines, Dingus? Or would it would it give us an explicit rating on uh, iTunes? Explicit. Uh, I don't want to say that. It's a, you know, I can do the yes round trip, yes grown, yes Friday, but it's not going to help Kelly on any. Uh, Wait, I don't know if you can uh, tell he was doing an accent. Yes. Oh, Did that help. That was Dingus just now. I was doing a Russian accent. Um, one, imagine that Ben Kingsley is yelling at you. The Russia House. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. That's a good one. A great one. But what's his introduction? Uh, all right. So, um, so this film is Sexy Beast, uh, and uh, this is uh, this is the first thing that leapt to mind when Tom brought up this category because um, this is my favorite example of how actors, writer, and a director uh, really set the table for a character who is going to be introduced. And the moment when um, I just I just love how the actors in particular prepare you for. This guy who's coming, like Eli's coming, uh, the, the idea that this this unbelievable force is about to be introduced in their in their lives, and they are dreading it. When they're at, they're when they're at dinner, when they're out at dinner, and somebody brings up his name, and and the way they react to his name, uh, and and the way you feel what is coming, and then when you first see him just walking in the airport. Um, it's just a fantastic way to set the table for a character. And then, like Tom said, he, he shows up. Ben Kingsley shows up and he just, he totally fulfills what they've, what they've set the table. He, he, he hits it out of the park. I mean, it, it just works together so well. And, um, Actually, you know, what I, what I did was, because it's been a long time since I saw this movie and I haven't gotten to see it lately. Um, uh, so I, I went ahead and and looked at the uh, the actual uh, the actual script for it, and and I just love the way the character introduction is said in the script, and it's this: He's compact, fit, balding, with a neat mustache and goatee beard. He wears a white <laughs> short sleeve shirt, gray suit, trousers, black Chelsea boots. On his right forearm is a faded blue green tattoo of a wild panther. On his left, crossed hammers interspersed with letters W H U. In his right fist, he carries his jacket and a small hold-all. He strides with an attitude through the concourse. He is Donald Malcolm Logan, Don. And so it's it's Don Logan, uh, played by Ben Kingsley. And he's just uh, this force of nature. Um, and also this, this angry little boy uh, inside, which it, upon listening to the, the commentary track, yeah, there, there's this moment where he... He's he's in the bathroom and and Ben Kingsley <laughs> is doing the commentary and, and he just says, "Angry little boy." Yeah, what's and he doing that Ben Kingsley says that though? He pees on the floor. He's he's yeah. he's taking a piss and he just looks over and he decides, "I'm going to pee on the floor right now." Uh, and uh, and Ben Kingsley just says on the commentary track, "Angry little boy," and and you just see that it's just such a great marriage of of the writer and the actors. Setting the table and him coming in and just bam! I just love this character introduction. Did you see yeah. anything else funny on the commentary? I, I like that. Uh, no, there, there, I don't think there's anything else funny, and I don't think he intended that to be funny. He just, he's just <laughs> making sort of, line. he's <laughs> observing himself and realizing, oh, that's what I did, <laughs> or that's what he was thinking when he shot that scene. I don't think he was thinking anything. He's just no. he was taking he's just actual all key. force. I mean, it, you can't you don't I don't know if you can find this on you. You can find the the um the scene where he's smoking on the airplane on YouTube and that'll give you a good idea of what's going That's on. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
but he's just all this just powerful, aggressive energy, and you get the feeling when they're talking, when the other actors are, are talking, that, that a boulder is coming to get them, really. It was a bit similar to what he did in Prince of Persia, wouldn't you say? I would absolutely say that. You're absolutely right, Tom. Good point. <laughs> when Wilford Brimley uh, kills that dude in The Thing with putting his fingers in his uh, cheeks, and he kills him, he said on the commentary he was thinking about his laundry during that scene. <laughs> Okay. thought you want to know that. Did you make that up, or is that true? That's true. Okay. Well, I thought, you know, since we're talking about commentaries. About that. Uh, when uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is looking in the mirror at himself in Donnie Darko yeah. and having a discussion, he, in the commentary track, he says he was thinking about pizza because that's how they had craft services that day. <laughs> that's good. You know, I've heard that commentary track because I wanted to understand the movie. Because it's like him and the director watching it. And I learned nothing from that commentary track. Pizza. Okay, that's the one thing. Right. That's what the director was thinking when he wrote this. Right. And when Indiana Jones shot that guy, he had diarrhea. That's why he shot him like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Movie apocrypha. All right, let me give you guys diarrhea. Let me give you a line from my number one. You ready for this? This is actually the character's introduction. This is the first line. You all know me. Know how I earn a living. Ah, that's a great Dingus, do you know it? Nope. Don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on. Dingus, are you he serious? Knows. He's just playing dumb. Is he really? I can't tell. <laughs> Everyone has that line in their head since birth. <laughs> come on, Dingus. Do you really not? If I say, like y'all know me, know how I live in, that doesn't... You don't know no, what that is? That's Yoda, right? Uh, bad form. Bad form mentioning Star Wars in a in character introduction, 3 by 3 Bad form. Do you believe him, Kelly Wan, that he really doesn't know? I'm a little surprised, but I believe him now. I'm a little sad. You That's should. the only great introduction in that movie. Because there's a lot of great uh, characters in it. Uh, well. Like, everyone else is just, like, hanging around when they first... Well, they just, yeah, they, they show up. I thought, an- they I thought of another character. I thought somebody was going to pick Bruce, actually. Which Bruce? He knows. So, oh, what they call the shark. So that's Quint in Jaws. It's the infamous town meeting scene, which involves uh, fingernails on a chalkboard, literally, uh, and his, <laughs> his drawing of a shark. I love that he's drawn a, a little picture of a shark eating a stick man mm-hmm. on the chalkboard. Yeah. Uh, and he's eating a shark. <laughs> Are these supposed to be stick dudes? Uh, and I love, too, just the, the reactions of the people. Uh, there's there's one there's one townswoman who has this just wonderful sort of shrewish face who uh, at the end and Steven Spielberg knows just the right amount of dialogue to get uh, she has some line about she's one who goes I don't think that's funny I don't think that's yeah funny. exactly that's that woman it's that disapproving <laughs> like town, town yeah yeah she's like I don't think that's very funny yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry uh, I don't yeah <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but I love Quint's introduction. I love that character. Uh, and good Lord, that was my introduction to Robert Shaw as a kid. Um, what about when Hooper goes, Tiger Shark? And the guy goes, A what? <laughs> <laughs> you like that introduction of that <laughs> What happened? Yeah. Uh, all right, there's my number one. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. I didn't think of that at all. I, I like that one, Tom. Like that. That's one. That's from my childhood too. That's just such because I was as a kid. I used to even because he would eat the cracker in three mm-hmm. bites. And as a kid, I would emulate that. Yeah. <laughs> would, like eat my cracker first the half and then the one. They looked kind of good. I don't know what they were. weren't they just saltines? Were they special crackers? I don't know. They looked like I thought they were like fish chips. What, what they were? 
don't know. I just thought they, they were salty. Those are... nah, but they were they were kind of rounded. And he's like got his quiet little sidekicks too. He's got a sidekick who has no lines, and we never see him, him again. He's not on the boat. Well, he well he said right. He doesn't come with him on the boat. He but he helps dress the boat. I don't know what you call it when you equip a boat. Maybe he's it. on the bigger boat that they don't bring. <laughs> uh, they should have brought. Well, that's just his buddy. It's like his manservant. It's his Kato. I like that, that his boat's super small, but it's called the Orca. You think it's super small? I don't know. Well, Brody does. <laughs> Right. The shark does. The shark's not impressed by their boat much. All right, so there we go. Those are our... Uh, Han Solo is just sitting in the bar. That's not a good introduction. Yeah, that's that's like straight out of a Western. Uh, I was... I Just for the sheer ballsiness of it, uh, the opening of Patton with George C. Scott, just <laughs> lecturing the camera yeah. in front of the American flag. That's yeah. pretty bold. That was on my runners-up. Uh, Willie Ames in Zapped. You first see him... <laughs> Uh, Heather Thomas is bending over, and he snaps a picture of her butt. That's pretty good. Awesome. Yeah, this yeah. one that was on my short list as well. Yeah, get it. <laughs> it was on my long list. Uh, but see, because he know he just happens to know when it's going to happen, so it sets him up as like he's the lucky guy who will be around whenever she bends over. He just happens to be there. Uh, Max von Sydow has an introduction. <laughs> Yeah. And then a reintroduction in The Exorcist, which I love. Because early on, it just shows this dude out in the desert at a dig, you know, looking at this statue while these dogs fight. And then the movie goes away from him for a while. And then later, he comes back in with in the, the fog. fog. Car. And that's when the uh, the tubular bells sound that Mike Oldfield fit that everybody knows from The Exorcist. Hmm. If I'm not mistaken, it doesn't play until Max von Sydow shows up, does it? Uh, you know, you hear it before then when she's walking around and the leaves are falling. Oh, you know what? Yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But that famous, I mean, I think it's the cover of the, the movie poster, but that, that famous shot of that Georgetown mm-hmm. house with him showing up in the fog in the street lamp. Uh, that's yeah. iconic. How come nothing iconic like that's ever made anymore? How come we have to go back? Oh, right. It's <laughs> Boy, is my face red. Uh, what, uh, what other runners up you guys got? Uh, I've got a load of them. How many am I allowed to give? Yeah, let's hear Dinguses and Wendy's. In one breath, Dingus, say them all. Do yep. a fast rundown like Kelly Yeah, go. I'm not going to do it like that. Okay, that is uh, <laughs> Hooper from Hooper. Uh, there's two characters in Constantine that I almost did, but then I didn't. Uh, I love. Don't laugh at that, Kelly Wand. Me and I Dingus. love the way Gabriel and Lucifer are introduced in that. Which is how? Um, By Skarsgård and Tilda Swinton, respectively. Right. I just like I just love those character reveals when uh, when uh, when Constantine calls forth calls them forth in his, in different ways and and who they end up being and it, particularly the visual of Lucifer's feet coming down. I love that character introduction and the way uh, the way Peter Stormare you know plays that part. I just like that character reveal. Um, to uh, I didn't. I, I almost went with this one because it was one of my favorites from last year, but I had to go with Sexy Beast instead. And it's it's. I love Meredith in Forty uh, Four Inch Chest. I love that character introduction when he just comes in and says salute and and says oh, deja vu. Um, I I really like that. Uh, Actually, don't you first meet him though, sort of staring languidly at a naked dude stretched out on his couch? Oh, oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, That's still quite an introduction. That's yeah, it is. Also, Winstone in Sexy Beast, isn't it just freeze frame on his naked, tanned, fat stomach for the yeah, title? 
Yeah. It's like right in his crotch, the title. Not that I noticed. <laughs> also, Tom, um, when's the first time we see Dignan in Bottle Rocket? Is it outside the hospital? No, I think he's he's discussing he's talking to his doctor beforehand. I think okay. about his release. I, I I don't think it's the escape. I think we meet him before the escape, where he hooks up with Luke Wilson. If that's what you're thinking. I remember Jar Jar's in the forest. Well, Dignan isn't the one escaping though. Dignan is uh, is Owen Wilson. Right. Oh, you're right. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Oh gosh, of course. Right. Luke Wilson is escaping, and Dignan's waiting for him outside with the plan. And, sh- and, and shining the um, the mirror and making right. goofy noises. Is that the first time you see him? I don't remember because I haven't seen Bottle Rocket in a while. But I, I just love that moment and and the way Luke Wilson talks about his friend out there to, to his doctor. That's <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I love that no, character introduction because it tells you so much about who that guy's going to be. Very good. Yep, yep. I like Bill Pullman's introduction in The Grudge. What is it? Uh... She says, so his wife says something from bed, and he goes, yeah, or something, and he just falls over the rail and dies. <laughs> That's an outroduction. It's both. It's, it's uh, yeah. All right. Also in Skyline, uh, never mind. Oh, yeah, and in Robin Hood, never mind. New topic, never mind. By three. Tom, you didn't have any uh, yeah. runners up. I'm very disappointed. Very I did. Patton, uh, Maxwell Seat on the Exorcist. Oh, okay. Uh, that famous there's a there's a it's an overused device where you have a camera, like at about chest level, and you dolly in towards someone and tilt the camera up to their face, uh, and it's sort of a cool like ominous horror movie introduction of here's a cool character, and where I first noticed it and really loved it. Uh, in Stuart Gordon's reanimator, when Jeffrey Combs first shows up at the door, they do that trick where the slightly lowered camera dollies in towards Jeffrey Combs and tilts up because he's like the crazy mad scientist right. who shows up at the door. I, I, I like that, you know, it's a hackneyed shot, but I always like that in reanimator. So that's another one. Anything okay. else? Any other runners up? Before From reanimator? Re- <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last one I'll say is, is Teardrop and Winter's Bone, and then I'll leave it at that. I like that. Kid. I already told exactly. you to shut up with my mouth. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> oh, by the way, a line I wanted to remember from uh, a long, the long, the way back. Oh, where did it go? Ah, there was a great way to. Uh, oh, hat oh, please. Is it, is it hat please? No, it's uh, you do the shutting up. Or it was something like that. <laughs> it was someone telling someone else to shut up. It was in the the cave scene where the guy's like, "Hey, I make you laugh." One of them says, "You do the shutting up." Hmm, it's a good comeback. He says, "Not, not anymore. You don't." And then someone he says, "Shut up," and then the other one says, "You do the shutting up." Oh, okay. Hannibal Lecter uh, had a good intro when he made the brain in uh, *Silence of the Lambs*. Oh yeah, that one. That is a great character introduction, actually. Although I guess he's introduced in *Red Dra- in Manhunter*. That's technically his introduction. Is As it? Brian Cox. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one where he plays Brian Cox. He's really good. He's so he's unrecognizable in that. It's yeah, amazing. it's because he's wearing skin on his face to look like Brian Cox. To okay, on what is next week's three by three? What do you have for us? <sighs> um, well, I have one that'll be really boring but quick and kind of funny, or I have one that. All right, I'll do that one then. 
three, this ties in with something from earlier, three best uses of product placement. Mm, you're going to make Dingus angry. Really? Okay, you want the other no, one? No, no, it's too late. You already said it. Because yeah. I know Dingus loves product placement, especially you, KFC, Book of Eli. You're going to make me angry because I, I had that on my on one of my lists of, or on, uh, not on deck, but it's it's been in in. Uh, well, you in the stole bullpen. the poem from me, so I'm getting you back. Right, you you can take product placement. By best, do you mean best? Uh, three most worthy of talking about on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, but. All right, good. So we'll do that next week. Uh, next week, we're not going to a movie. We're going to rent something and stay home. We hope you'll join us. Instead uh, of seeing rent, a mechanic. Rent Buried mm. uh, with uh, Ryan Reynolds and... No one. That's not true. Oh. There are Spoilers, Andrew stop. Law, Lily Sobieski, <laughs> Ed Benning, and uh, Jimmy Smits. Oh, he's, yeah. Sheila, he's Shia name. LaBeouf is in it, isn't he? Actually, he, they, they cast him and fired him early on in the production because he couldn't handle the stunt work. Jimmy Smith's in Star Wars, also best character introduction. Uh, I am Tom Chick, and I've been joined <laughs> with Christian Mirkovsky. Mir- 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 Christian Mr. Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. Michael Richards wasn't racist. He was just hungry. Lead in winter would bring you down forever, but you rode upon a steamer to the violence of the sun. La 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 la. And the colors of the sea find your eyes with trembling mermaid, and you touch the distant beaches with tales of rage, Ulysses. How his naked ears were tortured by the sirens. Also, Wilson the Volleyball. <laughs> he had a good introduction. Huh. Remember? That one thing from the movie. Wilson. Also, Charles Grodin, who played Fred Wilson in King Kong. Also, the volleyball scene. Top. <laughs> played by... <clears throat> also...